So why don't we begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are, uh, a God who is eternal, uh, the God who is, uh, as you've revealed yourself. When, when Moses asked who you are, tell them, I am has sent you. And you are the great I am who has always existed, who brings all things into existence, who is above all, through all, and in all. And Lord, we marvel that you as the one who's transcendent, high, and lifted up, that you've revealed yourself to us. You've come in the person of your son, and the, the one who said, before Abraham was, I am. And so, Lord, we want to worship you because of who you are. Uh, help us to, to marvel at who you are, and then in relation to the world that you've created, to, to reason well and to think rightly about your relationship to the world that you've created. And then let us testify and witness to the truth of who you are to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so the last couple of weeks we, we've covered some foundations of apologetics, what we actually have in mind when we're thinking and talking about apologetics, and then also who is the apologist and, and why that matters, the conduct of our life and how we live before others, our, a model of good works in, in the general context of our life, and then, oft, and then also an attitude, a demeanor that, as Scripture repeatedly says, is gentle, is reasonable, is kind and courteous, uh, all, all these things. That's how we want to engage with people. And then the rest of the course is going to basically break up into three sections. Uh, the majority of it will be offensive apologetics, uh, meaning positive arguments that, that we give for Christianity. And then the second part of the course will be defensive apologetics, which is you're making defenses against challenges that, that come against Christianity. Uh, so just common objections. Some of them are from permeate all time, all cultures. That they're just arguments that are going to be brought against, you know, if God is good, then why is there suffering? That, that's not unique to our time or period. And then there's other ones that are more specific to our culture. So there's going to be offensive apologetics, defensive apologetics, and then hopefully we'll have a couple weeks to talk about tactics. Uh, that, that's from a, a book that Greg Kukli wrote. Um, just helpful ways to, to, to maneuver in a conversation. Um, ways to, to work through discussions. And you'll see some of that modeled even throughout the course as I kind of give examples. But so, so that's what's coming down the pipe. But today we're looking at, so this is the first argument that we're going to be considering. It's the cosmological argument. Is anyone already familiar? Like, oh yeah, that rings a bell. I know what the cosmological argument is. What is it? What is it? Yeah. Well, basically that uh, everything that exists had a cause. Um, it, you, you, trace it, you trace it back. Only so far, it comes to a point, there's something had to be the primary first cause of all things, um, and that cause, based on, based on the, the intelligence, yeah. seeing the design information doesn't arise by itself. Yeah, so, I mean, you got it already there in the beginning, uh, that every, most simply, that every effect has a cause. Uh, and don't be intimidated by the big word, that cosmological argument. This, this is a word. Is that a C-A-U-S cosmological? Oh, no, yeah. it's right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. But cause. Yeah. Um, so th this is 
goes back to you know 800 years into classical apologetics with Thomas Aquinas. So this terminology has a very long tradition in Christian history, but it, it just refers to you guys know the word the cosmos. Um, so the cosmological argument is an argument from the cosmos to God. And and if you also might know that even our word cosmos comes from the Greek word cosmos, which means world. A very important word in the New Testament. Um, so it's an argument from the world to God. Uh, there is a created world. Therefore, when we see that, we can make inferences about where that world, where the cosmos came from. And you should also know that this same argument might be framed in terms of causality. So does anyone know, I mean, we already kind of stated it, but what is the law of causality? Is that the one that says anything that begins to exist as a cause? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about that, the, the way that it's framed. Every, every effect has a cause. It begins to exist. That's how William Lane Craig often terms this argument, and we're going to talk about that explicitly. But, yeah, very simply, every effect has a cause. It's reasoning from the effect, which is the cosmos. We see a world back to the, the cause of what brought that into being. Throw out snowflakes real quick, you know. Like, water doesn't just spontaneously arrange itself into interesting patterns when it's cold all by itself. Mm -hmm. It's actually obeying information that is... Yeah. You can't and you, see your medicine. Yeah, and you're, you're getting ahead of us, because uh, okay, we're going to be talking, Sorry. <laughs> talking about that uh, a bit next week. Um, but, you know, if, if the word term causality is, is more helpful to you, then that might be more uh, intuitive to most people you speak to. Uh, but you should also just be aware of history, of the cosmological argument. That's what, if you see it, if you're reading apologetics, that's what they're talking about. And so I, I really appreciate the cosmological argument, because number one, it's biblical. Uh, th this is an argument that can be derived from Scripture itself. God, by means of the Apostle Paul, puts his divine stamp on the cosmological argument and, and other arguments like it uh, that reason from the world to God. So sometimes, you know, in these kind of discussions, you make appeals to reason without explicit reference to Scripture. And that's, that's okay. This is God's world. And, and so God made laws of logic. He, he made reason and rationality. And so even if you don't have a direct verse to undergird the, the appeal, the argument that you're making, it's okay. Uh, but if it is explicitly found in Scripture, how much better uh, that I have God's stamp of approval on this kind of, this line of reasoning. But then the second reason that I have appreciated is that it's simple. It's relatively self-evident. Uh, it's intuitive. It's something that most people can get a handle on uh, without too much difficulty. Uh, there are other arguments that are very philosophically involved and intellectually uh, kind of complicated, and those are just less accessible for myself <laughs> and, and other people. So uh, I just want to start with this first argument or this first reason that I appreciate the cosmological argument, and that is uh, it's biblical. Oh, just stay there, actually. So Romans 1, uh, 18 to 23. Uh, if you have your Bibles or you have a phone, I would encourage you to flip there. We're just going to 
read through this and see, get a biblical foundation for this and see how Paul himself uh, reasons in this way. So, and if you don't have your Bible, just listen closely. Uh, so Romans 18, 1.18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God and they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So, I just wanted to read a bit more broadly in the context, and then we'll, we'll hone in. Uh, but verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Not, not will be revealed one day in the future when Jesus comes back. Not that it was revealed sometime in Israel's past when he sent them into captivity or brought judgment upon them. Rather, the wrath of God is right now, being revealed from heaven. It's on display. And so I would say anytime in this world that, that we see brokenness, we see sickness, we see death, we see, see suffering, wars, oppression, uh, disease, natural disasters, any of these things that tend towards human suffering, it all testifies and reminds us of one reality that the world corporately as a whole is not only fallen and broken, but it stands under judgment. It is fundamentally in in a position of rebellion against God. It testifies that the world is full of sin and that the Lord judges sin. And, and so every, every death, every cancer diagnosis, whether it's yours or someone else, it's a reminder that fundamentally things are not the way that they're supposed to be. This is not God's good design uh, that is the way it ought to be. It's a reminder that Things are broken, that the world needs to be redeemed. The, the whole cosmos is being reconciled by Christ and being restored and redeemed. Uh, even creation, Paul makes this very clear in Romans 8, that creation groans and being burdened and is awaiting the redemption of the, son, the children of God. Uh, so all of creation has been subjected to the fall and all of creation is under the curse of the sin. And so, not only does the world be redeemed as a big you know, structure, but I need to be redeemed. Uh, but someone might ask, well, why all this judgment, God? Well, why all this wrath? Especially towards the poor, innocent person in the jungle who doesn't know any better. That, that, that's they, they don't know any better, Paul. And so, why the judgment? And Paul says, oh, actually, they do know better. But instead of submitting to that knowledge, they, they and we naturally suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And you might say, well, what do you mean? 
How can you say that, that people know better? Uh, and this is where Paul builds upon uh, a line of reasoning that's at least consistent with the cosmological argument. Verse 19, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since what? The creation of the cosmos in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So in the context of Romans 1, Paul is actually arguing for much more than the cosmological argument. We'll, we'll get to that next week. There's a, the teleological argument, an argument from design, and, and there's things that can be, other things that can be known about God, what He is like, what some of your basic fundamental duties towards Him are as a creature in relation to your Creator. So there's actually more going on, but there's certainly not less going on. And Paul says, these things are clearly perceived in creation, in the things that have been made. So it's not only possible for us to know things about God from the created world, but Paul says we ought to. Uh, You should. It's proper. It's right. It's incumbent upon you when you see the world around you to make inferences about the one who made those things. Uh, and we're wrong. Every, every person is held liable for not making those inferences about where the world came from. Uh, so I would say the Bible approves, in Romans 1, of looking at the created order and then drawing inferences about the creator. And this is called natural theology uh, in a more broader uh, sense. But I would say the cosmological argument is the very first inference that the Bible would say all people in all places at all times should make. Uh, and they're held liable for, for not making it because it's, Paul says, it's clearly perceived. It's self-evident. Uh, and the only way that, that you don't draw that conclusion is by suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and say, no, 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 I'll, I'll make up another reason, another explanation other than the one that is self-evident in the things that have been made. So, I would say... When we see the world around us, we should, we ought to. We're, it's incumbent upon us to make those conclusions. Uh, and that's just not my opinion, but I'll say that's Scripture's opinion. That's Paul's opinion. That's God's opinion. Uh, so I appreciate this argument because it's biblical. But also because I would say it's relatively simple and straightforward. We live in a world of cause and effect. Uh, and beyond that, we live in a culture that believes and uh, embraces the scientific method. And thus, we believe that everything in the world around us has a reason for it. Uh, things don't just pop into existence out of nowhere. Things don't just happen for absolutely no reason. We don't live like that. We don't think like that. You know, if our car doesn't start in the morning, we don't just throw our hands up and say, well, I guess maybe sometimes my car just doesn't start for no reason. Uh, and there's just absolutely nothing that can be done about it. I guess I'll just leave it here to rot and decay for the next you know, 2,000 years or whatever. No, what we do is think, oh, what? Maybe the battery is dead. Um, maybe, maybe it's the alternator. Maybe it's the, the starter. But we intuitively assume there's a reason. There is a reason why my car didn't start. Similarly, if you have... You know, if you're in a village and, and people are getting sick after they drink from the river on certain occasions, uh, we don't just assume, well, 
maybe sometimes water makes people sick and sometimes it doesn't and there's no real reason or cause. <laughs> That's not how we think. We think, okay, well, maybe there's runoff down upstream uh, that people are getting sometimes. Uh, maybe there's contamination. Maybe people are, are dumping their trash. Uh, maybe certain weather conditions permits for bacteria to grow in and around that, that stream. Uh, who knows? But the point is that we assume in everyday circumstances all around us that there's a cause for the things that we see, the effects that we see in our lives and, and all around us. And we, that's just a cultural assumption that we have. So I would say it's, it's natural and even intuitive for us to assume, well, <laughs> we live in this very big, uh, sophisticated, complex world. It's natural to assume that there is a, a cause, there is an ultimate reason behind the world that accounts for the world that we live in. And I would say it's less rational, less logical, and less intuitive for most people to just assume that the world spontaneously generated out of nothing. So, or that the second alternative is that the world is eternal and self-existent. That matter and space and time is just eternal and self-existent. Uh, and these are, are really your only two alternatives. And R.C. Sproul spells these out in a lot of his material, where he, there's actually a fourth one, but I'm not even going to go into the idea that all of everything's an illusion. Uh, so yeah, really, you, you have two alternatives. You have spontaneous generation, that the world just popped in, the universe just popped into existence uh, out of nothing, and suddenly, you know, big bang and boom, universe. Or you have an eternally self-existent universe. And so R.C. Sproul highlights that, you know, during the Enlightenment, uh, spontaneous generation, that, that was an idea that was starting to gain some momentum because the scientific method, and they, but then they're seeing things like mold and bacteria or tadpoles uh, emerging, and, and they didn't, they weren't able to diagnose what the cause was. They couldn't see it. And they didn't have the instruments fine enough to, to notice, okay, why are these things emerging? Uh, where are they coming from? Uh, so they weren't able to identify the cause. So they thought, oh, maybe some things do just you know, spontaneously generate out of nothing. Uh, but then as we progress in, in our instruments, scientific instruments, we can say, oh, actually, you know what? There was a reason why bacteria grows and why mold develops. Uh, there are conditions that underlie that. It's not just randomly for no reason. Uh, but even today, people will argue, oh yeah, well, spontaneous generation is possible because of certain ideas in quantum mechanics and, and things like this. So atheists might say something like, well, we know that because of quantum mechanics that it's possible for something to come out of nothing. But if you listen closely, there's always preconditions there. I mean, and this is like really smart people, Stephen Hawking, uh, Lawrence Krauss. I mean, people that are way smarter than me in, in terms of intelligence and their mental faculties. I've no doubt that they are computing at a higher, higher level than I am. But they say things like that all the time. It's, oh, it's completely possible to, for the universe to spontaneously, you know, to occur on its own because of the laws of physics. Or we can account for the origins of the world now because of our understanding of quantum mechanics. And you don't have to be a physicist. like You don't have to understand these concepts to just point out that well, you're saying because of quantum mechanics. You're saying be due to the laws of nature. But 
How are you getting quantum mechanics?、Uh, how are you getting the laws of nature? You are not answering the question. You, you're just punting it upstream and you know sending it one step farther back without actually answering the question.、Uh, you're pretending you solve the problem and you're framing it like you solved it, but you haven't actually solved it because you haven't accounted for the preconditions. Now you're, you're just giving preconditions that you still haven't accounted for. So if you're assuming preconditions for the Big Bang. Uh, then you haven't answered the question. Whether it's a quantum vacuum, gravity, or other laws of nature, it's just begging the question and sending it one step farther up. So the the question is not how do you get a universe given laws of nature, but how do you get anything at all? That, that's what nothing, nothing, not how you get you know our our world given all these. Very fine-tuned circumstances and、uh, physics and me- quantum mechanics, all that. But you have to account for those things, and, and so, and like I said, very smart people. They just give the answer like, "Well, I solved the problem." And I'm like, "You didn't solve the problem." <laughs> so, you know, if you're talking to someone and they say something like that, well, don't let them off the hook by assuming preconditions or just you know giving. A kind of justification, like, oh well, we know that's possible because of. Well, as soon as you insert a because of, and and you give some other grounds, well, now you've sent, you've given a prior cause, and but you still have to account for that cause, and that's at the heart of the cosmological argument that there has to be a foundational cause. There, there has to be an ultimate cause. Turtles all the way down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, elephants, turtles, all the way down.、Turtles. Yeah. So that that's often you you hear that I would say in the more sophisticated answer you're going to hear about quantum mechanics、uh, you're going to hear about just the laws of physics but people also might say well you know the the world just exists by chance and it's just the the way it is but that's or it was created by chance but that, that's not giving an answer to the question because chance cannot do anything chance does not exert force. Upon it cannot act upon anything. Chance is an idea that's used to describe the likelihood of an event given any like certain conditions, and that that's all it is. So if we're not able to account for all the conditions, then we call it chance. So for example, if you roll a dice, we say, well, it's, it's going to be a one or a six, one through six, but it's just chance. We, we don't know what it's going to be. But if you could actually account for everything. You know the the way that you're holding the dice, the speed at which you roll it, the surface that it falls upon, the the cut of the dice. If you could account for all the variables, there would be no chance involved,、uh, and you could actually duplicate the same outcome every single time. The only thing is that we can't account for all the variables. We can't give an account for all the causes that leads to that effect. And so, because we don't understand, we don't know all the variables, and we can't account for them. It becomes we we just say well it's just chance because we don't know what it's going to be, but chance isn't doing anything. Chance is just describing a probability of that event. So, you know, you can just somebody says that well it just exists by chance. You just lovingly point out that you know nothing ever happened because of chance. Chance has no causal force. To do anything or to bring anything into existence, 
And, and so you might ask, so are you saying that there was, you know, absolutely no cause and the world just popped into existence, the, the universe, one day for no reason at all? Or, you know, another phrase that, that might come up is just the world created itself. Now, these are things that, you know, the more sophisticated scientific types probably aren't going to say, but as you, if you just engage with people, they might just casually be like, well, the, the world just created itself. Well, and you just point out, well, that's, that's absurd. Uh, nothing can create itself. In order for something to create itself, it would have to exist in order to create and not exist in order to be created in the same moment at the same time. So you're saying that it exists and doesn't exist and at the same time. Like, this is logical absurdity. This is not... Yeah, this is nonsense. It's not a rational way to conceive of the world. And, and usually people, the main argument that they have is like, Christianity is not rational. And we're like, this, this is not rational. And of course, you, like we talked about, you want to be kind and gentle and winsome, but point out that this, this doesn't follow, that this is not coherent. It's not rational to, to say things like this. One, one common way, R.C. Sproul is just good at bringing these concepts down to people like me and, and you know, making them accessible. But he says, if anything exists now, then there, was never, then there never could be a time when there was nothing. Do I have a, another quote here? So, if anything exists now, then there never could have been a time when there was nothing. Because the most fundamental maxim of all reason and all science and all philosophy is the maxim, out of nothing, nothing comes. Uh, so, if there was ever a time when there was nothing, the only thing that could be would be nothing. And nothing, he says, is not something. Not even a little something. Not even a microscopic something. Not even a subatomic something. It is nothing. And so, if someone is sophisticated, they give preconditions for the Big Bang. Uh, which are not, in fact, nothing. And that's the point. Uh, they still haven't established a foundational cause for that subatomic something, uh, that microscopic something. To say it just happened by chance amounts to saying, you know, no one, this is another good just like in conversation. So, so you're telling me that you know, no one plus nothing equals everyone and everything. And when it's stated like that, well, it depends on how much time you gave it. Yeah. <laughs> there were several million years for that to have happened, and it's conceivable that, you know, that nothing could have... I'm just saying, culturally, that's the my yeah. Am I ascribing this yeah. exorbitant length of time that that makes up the difference from... from so we could we would not say, gee, that's not going to happen in the next 10 seconds, but 17 billion years for it, too. So yeah. something must have happened in that period yeah. of time. And somehow that ascribes some sort of rationality to it in, in our culture yeah. today from this, I don't know, scientific community yeah. or something. It's the infinite number of monkeys argument. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. give an infinite number of monkeys an infinite number of typewriters and an infinite amount of time they'll eventually write all the works yeah. of Shakespeare. It's yeah. like, but it doesn't happen. It, it's yeah. never one time been demonstrated that information arises by random happenstance. Yeah. It does not do yeah. that. And so, and so even now we're... we're yeah, so even now we're talking about the... Which is, this is good, but it, it's... We're in the teleological argument, which we're going to talk about next week. It's an argument from design. <laughs> no, you're good. But, but listen, so the cosmological argument, that Paul's building on that in Romans 1 too. Uh, those are some of the things that we see in the things that have been made. Uh, there's beauty, there's design, 
there's, there's morality and all, all sorts of things. So that, that's involved, that's wrapped into Romans 1. But the cosmological argument says, where do you even get the monkeys? You know, like, yeah, where do you get the typewriter? Where do you get time? Where, uh, you know, there's this kind of a little story of the scientists say, oh, no, like, we, we don't need God. This is just, you know, a little, I don't even know what to call it, but illustration, I guess. The scientists get together and they're like, oh, we don't, we don't need God. We, we can make our own people. We can make our own life. Like, we don't, we don't need him. And so there's going to be this big showdown. And, you know, and so it's like, oh, all right, no, no problem. Like, well, let's have a duel. Let's have a show off. And, and so all the scientists get together and then they're like, all right, here we go. And, you know, they pick up a dirt, a, a handful of dirt and God's like, hey, hey, hold up. Get your own dirt. You know, uh, it's like all the, those things, the material belongs to God. So, Again, assuming preconditions, assuming material, whatever it might be. Why the rational result of the argument about the monkeys is really one in a finite period of time, they will have all jumped on each other, grabbed the typewriters, and killed each other. (laughs) And never done anything at all. Uh, I had that argument with a a client of mine 25 years ago, a very intelligent attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jewish attorney that was in, and he he firmly, I mean, that's what he looked like. I go, you got to be kidding me. So, if if you don't believe that the world, you know, generated spontaneously or self creation, creation by chance, however it's framed, uh, if you don't go that route, then the only other route logically uh, is to say, well, the the world must have eternally been self existent. And there are purely rational reasons why you could argue against an eternal, self-existent, material universe. But I don't find those super helpful or accessible for myself or probably for other people. And I think for me, it's just more helpful to point out to the people that I'm engaging with most often that, you know, the scientific opinion believes, current scientific opinion believes that the universe is not eternal and not self-existent. So uh, that because of the the Big Bang Theory, the scientific community believes that the universe had a distinct beginning. The the, uh, HSK, the horrendous space kablooey, you never read Calvin and Hobbes? No. They actually use that in some scientific circles too, the HSK. Rather than calling it the Big Bang, they call it the horrendous space kablooey in honor of Calvin and Hobbes. That's funny. Um, but, but I would say that, in this sense, the, the Big Bang theory, uh, in its kernel, is not problematic for a, a Christian a biblical worldview. In the basic sense that, in one moment, there was nothing. <laughs> and then, in another moment, all, all of a sudden, the, the universe and all that is exploded into existence. And I would say, well, yeah. I mean, in the beginning, God created. He spoke the world into existence. Ex nihilo. He stretched out the heavens. And God spoke everything. Suddenly, in a moment, bursted you know, time, space, material into existence all at once. The, the difference between the, the materialist and myself is that, well, I have a sufficient cause to account for this, <laughs> and you don't. <laughs> You're positing that this just happened upon its own without a, a foundational cause. So, 
I, I'm personally, I'm not going to stake my case on contemporary scientific opinion because that's, that's not my ultimate authority. But I don't mind saying in a conversation with someone, like, hey, these, these are your people. Your people are saying that the universe had a beginning. So if you want to distance yourself from contemporary scientific opinion, uh, if you want to do that, that's fine. But you're the science denier. Uh, and if you want to, you know, take on that label or whatever, you know, that's, that's you. But that's not what the, the scientific authorities are saying. They are saying that it had a distinct beginning and is not eternal and not self-existent. So if the universe began to exist, then there must be a cause, a sufficient reason to account for its beginning and existence. And like we've already pointed out, that the universe includes not only matter, but space and time too. Uh, so you need, therefore, a cause that is outside of space, that is outside of time, that is not material. And it's important when we talk about the universe that to highlight that, that if you're giving an account for space, time, and material, then you need something outside of those things. You need something that is outside of the universe. The cause cannot be found within the effect. That seems intuitive to us. And, you know, if we look at a fire, we can't say, like, that flame created the fire. You know, that there, there was a, a fire. The cause cannot be found within the effect. Therefore, and, and this just helps us steer the, the conversation, well, then the cause must be one who is eternal, one who is self-existent, one who is immaterial, uh, therefore spirit. But let, let's just say somebody insists that, no, 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 the universe is eternal, uh, it always existed, but even if that were true, that wouldn't really solve the problem. Uh, because you, know, you have guys like Plato and Aristotle who believed in an eternal material universe, and they still basically believed and, and used the cosmological argument. Because for them, it was evident that, well, even if you have material, you still need something and someone to act upon that material. If you just have static material, uh, you have no impetus for motion impetus for activity. Uh, and so, you know, Aristotle famously said, you know, you need, there must be an unmoved mover. Uh, there must be the uncaused first cause which, which sets the world and activity and motion into, uh, or sets the world into motion so that a, a series of events, yeah, go ahead. So, if our argument is that God is eternal mm -hmm. and self-existent, and their argument is, well, matter is eternal and self-existent. We're saying that the argument against that is that matter is not actually eternal and self-existent mm. because we see the world decaying. Yeah. And that there's no proof, then, that God is now decaying. Mm. And so, eternal looking forward with, like, right? Because we can see that the world's resources, right? Mm. We don't have as many whatever. Um and so, like, because it's the same argument, right? If they go, well, the world and matter has always self-existed, and mm -hmm. we go, well, God has always self-existed, like, we're arguing yeah. the same, yeah. right? So, like, what's the differentiation? Yeah, yeah. So, so I would just point out that the scientific community would, would say that, no, that would be my normal, I, I was just, this is just a, 
a, a rabbit trail of like that even philosophically um, you, you have the, the smartest thinkers in, in the Greek and, and Roman world philosophers that were like even if you give us an eternal material world you still have you still need something to act upon that um, but but that's like I said that, that typically is not the, the route that I'm typically I'm just pointing out that the scientific Contemporary scientific opinion says that the world had a beginning and it's decaying uh, and it's not eternal. So, so if somebody argues that they're right. Well, I mean, because if they're like, well, the world's eternal, and you'd be like, but it's then how do you compensate for like reduction in resources? Like, there's more people. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm kind of confused on some things here. Yeah. So, I think I figured it out for me, but like, for instance. The idea of um, something from nothing, yeah, and then a big bang, mm-hmm. whatever. The argument that I've heard that that I think is is a mainstream argument. And I could be wrong here. Is that material materials always existent, yeah. and it's a cycle. It's a cycle where it condenses and expands, condenses and expands over the argument billions of years. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, the the resource argument against what you're saying at least is um, we have the same amount of water that we've right. always had. So we're, it's just, like it's just in a different it's form. It's an argument in like, mm-hmm. regeneration. Yeah, it's a different form. It's a different form of water. So the argument she's asking, which I think is very valid, which I, I'm a little confused on, but I, what I'm hearing... Right, and I'm not saying this is my argument. Like, well, the argument I'm that I'm hearing... And I, right? <laughs> argument A, let's say, is our argument. God's eternal. Okay? Mm-hmm. Argument B, material's eternal. Right. One's decaying. Yeah. How, yeah. how do we yeah. discuss God's not decaying? Yeah. Is that, is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying, but the proof against it is that the world is, you like, see? that the world will decay, right? That God yeah. is going to end Earth, right? Like, there's going to be a new heaven and a new yeah. Earth, and like. So, uh, yeah, I think, I, I would say if you have, if you have, uh, well, again, from my understanding of contemporary scientific opinion, that, that matter is, began to exist at the Big Bang. So I, I would say you're just out of step with scientific opinion. And if, if you believe you know, in, in this, I, I think most people don't want to be out of step with that opinion. And so they, they might say energy is eternal. And so, so then if they would say, well, no, uh, the energy is eternal, uh, then I'd say, okay, but what this is where, like, Aristotle, his line of thinking, is where he is, he, he needs something to work with, uh, but then he was still saying, okay, even if I have something, what, how, how does that something, how do I get activity and a series of events with an eternal, something that is eternal, as it must necessarily be uh, immutable? Because you, you cannot have, if it's not immutable, then you have, you, you get down to the problem of infinite regress. Uh, that if you have a continual, if infinite series of events, well, what was the first event that, that started? And, and so that's the point. That no matter what, you, you're going to push back into infinite regress, uh, and you're going to say there must be a foundational cause. So that's why I would say, it, even if you say energy is eternal, so so then you go back, you know what. <laughs> Prior to the Big Bang, if, if they're assuming that they're taking this line of argument, 
You go prior to that, what was the impetus that suddenly at that time caused this to take place? You know, there must be something that acts. Uh, Isn't that the next argument, though? Like, the the next one of something, like, the force upon which the materials that we had? I'm trying to just say, like, Mm. what started. Like, what was the... The argument that I I know of, that's what I thought was the most current argument, which I'm not current, but material always existed. Matter okay. can neither be created, right? We were right. taught that. Like, right, matter right. cannot be created, nor destroyed. But it, it just takes a different form. And then yeah. there's a big... So, hear me out here. Yeah. There's a big bang, right? And then, after... There's a cycle of everything regressing back... Again, the argument, I think, is gravity or yeah. whatever, coming back, and then another big bang. Yeah. Right? But what I'm hearing you say, which I would think is probably a good, a good route to go is even if you have these, let's say you have a million cycles, what was the first cycle? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so, the, so the, again, the argument is it not material always existed. So, yeah, so in, in order to get a series of events, it, as soon as you get a series of events, you, you have effects happening. And so you, you need a cause for that. And, and I would still press them on, okay, well, you're talking to me about gravity, that is forcing, compressing these, this matter into black holes. Where are you getting this gravity? Where are you getting these laws of nature? Which by, and then, you know, in, in conversation, you're, you're not just going to be like, oh, I'm limited to this line of thought. But uh, by the way, these are extremely fine-tuned. Uh, and so, but I would say the idea of infinite regress, that, that if you have a series of events, they're, they're, it's going to go back eternal, and, and you're going to end up in La La Land, like with, with infinite regress of if the, if the effect always must be justified by a cause. And so, you know, you just... So th- I don't know if that, that's helpful at all, but um, those are just a couple... And I, sometimes it depends on the person you're talking to about what might be more useful... But it is it is nine fifty, and I have I'm not going to get through all this. So, um, yeah. Oh man. Let, let me let me try to think about what is most what is, what would be most helpful. Um, so, really quickly, uh, I'll, I'll just run through this. So this is William Lane Craig. This is how you know he's probably the most famous Christian apologist today, um, and, and this is how. A formal syllogism for the argument. So, premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause of its beginning. Premise two, the universe had a beginning. Uh, And then conclusion, therefore, the universe has a cause of its beginning. And really, it's the same path that R.C. Sproul is is going down. Premise one, whatever begins to exist has a cause of its beginning. So then he's... That premise, if that's true, that undermines... uh, a universe that spontaneously generates out of, out of nothing. Premise two, the universe began to exist. That is undermining the, the idea that the world is self-existent. And you, you might have a scientific discussion, or there, there are philosophical reasons about infinity, why, why the concept of infinity is impossible in the... It's an abstract con- concept that cannot be applied to 
a, our material world. But conclusion, therefore, the universe has a cause of its beginning. Uh, and, and so this is just a, a formal syllogism that's aimed at the same, but it, it's addressing the same things. Do we believe in the law of causality, or do things just pop into existence on their own without, without any reason or any cause whatsoever? Uh, is that something that we have observed happening in the world around us? No, I, I don't think so. Um, or there's discussion about whether or not the universe is uh, eternal or began to exist. But I, I assume that most of you, you know, don't talk to your neighbor and like, hey, would you like to syllogize together? <laughs> Can I work through a syllogism with you? And so in practical conversation, the way that these things actually, you know, come up and, and I might talk with someone through this is, you know, I might ask, oh, do you, do you have any religious convictions? And they, they might just say, oh, you know, I don't believe in anything outside of this world. Or uh, I don't believe, you know, believing in God is irrational or the, the, the world is, is all there is in the physical world. And so the way that I might respond is, is saying, you know, just something as simple as, this is getting at the question, the, the cosmological argument, but it's just more conversational. Why do you think that there is something rather than nothing? If, if you don't have any fun foundational cause, then why is there anything at all? Uh, like, why do, you, why do you exist? Why, why does the world exist? Why is, you, why is there anything? Can, can you give me an explanation? And, and so, even if they want to say, you know, material is eternal or energy is eternal. And the theory, I like, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, theory of general relativity, uh, all these things are interdependent. So, so maybe people would frame it differently. But, but you still have to an- answer the question of why is there something? Why is there anything at all rather than nothing? Why is it logical and rational for me to believe that I'm here today when when you can't give an account for, for anything at all. And so, you, you know, they, they might say, you know, well, the Big Bang. Uh, why is there something rather than that? They would typically, I, I think most street person would just say, well, you know, the Big Bang. And I would just say, well, what caused the Big Bang? And these typically aren't going to be highly scientific. Like, the average person hasn't studied this any more than you have. <laughs> uh, and they don't really know what they believe or why they believe it. Or they might have... They don't know why they believe the things that they do. So, and I would I just use kind of crude language to describe what they're... So, so do you believe that the universe just popped into existence on its own? Uh, is, is that how you understand the, the world to function? Are there other things in your experience, in, in history, or that have been recorded, where things spontaneously generate on their own or, or just come into existence? Are, are you aware of other things? Why do you think that that's more rational to believe that than to believe that there is a creator who, who made the world? And, and you're just opening conversations with that. Or probably a way that, that's even more common for, for me, and, and this goes into an argument from design, is that someone, same kind of objections that they might say, you know, like, oh, believing God, there's no evidence for God. That's very common. You know, if God, if he, 
if God were here, if God shows up, I would believe him. But I've never seen God with my own eyes. That's very common. Things like that. I've never seen God with my own eyes. Therefore, it, it would be irrational for me to believe in God. And so, I might say, okay, so, so you don't think that there's sufficient warrant, sufficient evidence to believe in God because you haven't seen him with your own eyes. And they're like, yes. It's like, okay, so do you believe that this building had, that someone built it? And they're like, well, yeah. Wouldn't all this kind of like back you into the corner of like the master or watchmaker, like Ben Franklin's theory where he's like, okay, I believe that a God, you can maybe get mm-hmm. the person to concede that God like initiated it. Mm-hmm. But how do you get them to be, yeah. like, go from the initiation to a living daily relationship with yeah. this? Yeah. Leading, you know, yeah. you could maybe, yeah, get them in the corner yeah. being like, okay, I concede there was something out there yeah. that kicked this whole thing off. Yeah. And Infieri, is that how they pronounce that? Hmm? The inferiority argument? Is that how they pronounce inferiorness? Oh. Oh, I'm, I don't know. Okay, well, so uh, a water doesn't stay in the shape of a glass in the absence of the glass, or uh, the light in a room, it does not exist independent of the candle. The candle has to be there continuing to produce the light. Mm-hmm. And the argument is that the universe, it, 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 it exists and is sustained by, yeah. The, yeah. by the essential first cause. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there is... So yeah, okay. yeah. So so the, the, these are these are formed in different ways. So Thomas Aquinas had uh, emphasized more the the continual that God sustained the world up and upholds it. Yeah, but um, but I would just say that that any of these, and I was I was going to acknowledge somewhere in here that even if you kind of like make your point, you, you're not getting them to believe in, in Jesus Christ and, and the resurrection. Uh, you're not even getting them to believe in Christian theism. Uh, all, all you're acknowledging is that there is it the most rational and most uh, logical thing to assume that we are here with, that in a material universe with nothing else uh, and that there is no reason, no cause, uh, no ultimate foundation to reality. And so you're not closing the, the door. I mean, you're not was closing the deal, you know, with, with this. But you're, you're simply, you're opening the door for conversations. Uh, and I would say what you're getting to is ultimately you, you are going to say, well, because they, they're almost certainly going to say, you know, that the most common response is, but who made God? And like, gotcha. Um, but it's like, well, exactly. That's my very point that I, the God of scripture believe claims to be the, I am that, that his foundational fun. One of the fundamental characteristics of God is his self existence. And, and I'm free with saying it's, it's not incoherent to believe in a eternal material world. Like there's nothing logically incoherent with saying that the universe has always existed as it or that material has always existed. It just, I, I don't think, it's, it's hard to get to where we are at today with an eternal, if it's a static eternal material world. 
No, no, no. This might be for next week. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back to Scripture. Mm -hmm. And when um, Paul says, you know, basically, I'm totally misquoting here, but, uh, you know, God existed and they're without excuse, right? Like, the evidence of God is without excuse, Mm -hmm. right? What do you talk, like, some people might argue, Mm -hmm. well, how do you condemn a people group who's never heard of the God you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but they're worshiping nonetheless? Mm Mm-hmm. They're worshiping falsely. And the question I have, for, for us is falsely, right? There's a people group in India that no one can go to because they kill everybody, mm-hmm. right? You show up, they kill you, you're done. Yeah. Um, but so, but they they have a religious viewpoint of some type, right? Is it because from the beginning, right? Their 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 original people group knew that God existed and that how to worship Him appropriately. Or, so yeah. I'm just, yeah. I, I'm kind of stuck on that. Yeah, yeah. I, Is that next week? Yeah, we, we can, I think, I ought to, let, let, me, let me just finish my one train of thought. Sorry. No, no, you, you guys are fine. It's good, better to have you ask some questions and just totally, you know, not engage at all. Uh, and I, 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 I apologize for not getting through all of this, because it probably would have been helpful if I would gotten through all of it, but I'm not even getting close. So, I need to be more uh, precise here in, in my material, but but I would, I would just say just with that that conversation, like I, I found it very helpful. Uh, just talking to people, it's like okay, well, so you, you believe you have a high degree of confidence that someone built this building? They're like, yes. Okay. Did you witness them building it? Do you personally know the architect or the construction team or anyone that was involved in making this building? And they're like, no. <laughs> so you, you're completely fine with believing that there's a builder, even though you've never seen him, you don't know him, and you have no evidence that someone built it. Why? And this, this does go back to Romans 1, at least. How do you know that the builder exists? By the things that have been made. And, and I would just say, well, for me, it's much more rational and and reasonable to assume that this building came into being by, on its own rather than the whole universe and all the structures and all the systems. Uh, and then you're, you're going into the argument from design into that. You're leaping into it. But, and then you can say that in a question too. Can you explain to me why it's more rational to believe that the universe uh, generated on its own without any foundational cause but that why it would be really irrational to believe that this building you know, came into being of its own accord. Can, can you explain to me that, that distinction? And again, I would just say that are there people in which that are, might have a, a knockdown answer for that and that you would feel just totally disarmed, like, oh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I'm sure there are. There are people who would you know, destroy me and in certain kinds of conversations and arguments. But the, honestly, the, the, average, the people that you talk to aren't those people. <laughs> like, um, most people haven't thought a lick about any of the things that they believe. Yeah. And we have to frame it in the reference of, we're never going to argue someone into Christ. Yeah. We just have to keep that in mind that these are conversation and relationship starters to get them thinking and we plant, you know, yeah. water some seeds and... Yeah. Right, because 
we can do nothing yeah. without yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, and so that's why, yeah, the last two weeks it, we, we've emphasized that a lot. Um. <laughs> uh, just just uh, on that discussion you were talking about, um, the question is, you know, do you, this not person doesn't, whatever he doesn't believe, do you believe that things just fell together? The building, did it just fall together? And do you really believe that the earth and the universe just fell together? Mm-hmm. Rather than mm-hmm. actually, it was, it was uh, 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 not built, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Designed. And, yeah. Yeah. And the question, all you're doing is asking the question. Yeah. You know, you let God take care of the rest. Yeah. Uh, as far as. Yeah, and so I and I would. This is really the last thing I, I would in terms of getting. So once you you have that that conversation, and may, maybe the person's mind is okay. Uh, maybe it is not completely irrational to believe that there is a foundational cause, uh, and then you have an opportunity. Well, let me tell you about that foundational first cause. This is the, the God of Scripture is a God who says, uh, you know, who who should I send? Say. Uh, sent me. Tell them I am sent you. And and then Jesus Christ comes and he says, uh, before Abraham was, I am. This is the defining feature. One of them about God is that he he claims his self-existence and to be the foundational cause that it's in him that everyone else and everything has life and movement and being. So I feel like apologizing because I, I feel like I could have done better. But uh I'll be brief, um, but I just I want to affirm um, support. Just I think it's so important that we're we're talking about you know does God exist? Because maybe fifty years ago that wasn't the first question that had to be addressed when you were trying to be evangelistic, but today in this country. It is for so many people. Mm -hmm. It's, is there a God? That's where it's.